Now we'll see the rest of the conversation in today's passage between Ruth and Boaz. And then as we read from Deacon Peter's reading of scripture, wrap up with the conversation between Naomi and Ruth. So let us continue to see how God's kindness, his providence is being worked out in the life of Naomi and Ruth. As mentioned, when we were in chapter 2 last Sunday, we saw that Ruth stepped out in faith. Um, there were not a lot of things going on at that time for Ruth and Naomi where, yeah, if we go out and it's going to happen for us. They had no really guarantees, so to speak, or uh, telltale signs where it was very obvious if they went this way or that way, then it will be good. We saw that Ruth stepped out in faith, and her bold faith was rewarded as the favor she went out seeking for was found through her encounter with Boaz. Um, and we saw last Sunday how this encounter between Ruth and Boaz seemed to be a chance encounter, uh, coincidence, um, just luck for Ruth. Uh, but then we shut that down because we don't believe from what I saw here uh, that this was a coincidental encounter by chance or luck, but by God's gracious providence. And we saw Boaz show extraordinary kindness to Ruth and went beyond what she was expecting in which Ruth responded in humility and gratefulness. So we pick up in today's passage where we left off last Sunday on Boaz's field, where Ruth responded in thankfulness. In the first three verses, in verses 14 to 16, we see that Boaz's kindness continues. So let's look at that. So in verse 14, it looks like uh, as we start off, it was lunchtime and the people gathered to eat and rest. And we continue to see what kind of a person, what kind of a man Boaz is as he sits beside and eats with his workers in the way that he serves Ruth. But not only serving Ruth, but he also has her sit next to the rest of his workers. Now, we can, you know, in context-wise or other things, we could just look at them thinking, oh, okay, I guess that's just what's happening, and that's okay. This may not seem like nothing, but it's rather important to Ruth here specifically. And it's because of the location or position where Ruth is at. Boaz invited her to sit beside the reapers, the other workers. What that meant was he was inviting her to be part of Boaz's working family. She now belonged to his circle. Remember that Ruth is a foreigner. Uh, she's an outsider uh, and a poor widow on top of that. So this action from Boaz gives Ruth a sense of honor and dignity. He could have easily told her to, hey, go sit over there by yourself. I'm going to get you the food, but you have to sit over there since she was not considered one of the workers. She was a foreigner. She was not an Israelite. She was a Moabite. 
but not only, but through uh, Boaz's kind action here, I believe, not only was her stomach being filled as she was having a free meal, to be, to be honest, but her dignity was being upheld as well. Furthermore, as we continue on, Boaz, we see here, passed to her roasted grain. What this means is that Boaz served Ruth, served Ruth food, but a generous amount was given from Boaz to Ruth. Uh, it's one of those um, in the Korean culture a lot, but I'm sure other cultures as well, uh, like to call it the, the grandma portion. You know what I mean? So just a massive amount like, hey, why aren't you eating? I am eating. <laughs> You're just giving me more, right? Um, so just think of like that, like a generous amount, just where you're just like, wow, like almost like being overwhelmed by it, given by Boaz to Ruth. And because of this generous amount, Ruth, as we read here, ate until she was satisfied. And we continue to read that she has some left over. Now, for those of us here who went through the book of Mark, our previous uh, book that we went through, you would kind of see from here, right? Uh, what does that remind you of? Doesn't that remind you of when Christ fed the crowd and they were all satisfied and what? They had some left over as well. So we kind of see here as well, these pointers to Jesus Christ through this book. Back in chapter one, verse six, it described how the end of the famine led Naomi to return to the land. And in chapter 1, verse 22, it told of how Naomi and Ruth returned just when it was the beginning of the harvest season. And here in verse 14, it shows that their need for food has been met and not just met, but through this action from Boaz to Ruth has been met generously. So at the very least, Naomi and Ruth looks like wouldn't go hungry for the time being. We also saw something else happening for Ruth. Mind, just a reminder of what Boaz did. Sit beside my reapers. Sit beside them. Not, all, not out there, but here. Slowly, we see that through this one action, perhaps, she is slowly being integrated more and more from an outsider position, more of an insider position, as she, a Moabite foreign outsider, is currently sitting beside the Israelite workers. Keep that in mind as we continue to go through the rest of the book. And then we read, after she finished her satisfying meal, who knows when's the last time she had a very satisfying meal, she gets up and she prepares to get back to the gleaning, back to work. Um, perhaps thinking of like her mother-in-law. Oh, she's, she's back at wherever they were staying, at the home. She's out here, so perhaps she's thinking, I'll get some food for my mother-in-law. So when Boaz then sees Ruth getting up and preparing to go out into the field again, he gives specific instructions to his young men, his young workers. First, he tells them, as we see here, to let her, Ruth, glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Just as a reminder what gleaning is, um, normally gleaning was gathering dropped grain or grain that was left after the reapers or harvesters went through the field. 
meaning that one had to work to find these dropped bits of grain. But here, in this first instruction, Boaz basically tells his workers to allow her to glean from, not from the dropped grain, but from the gathered grain. With this instruction, basically, Ruth doesn't have to work as hard. Without going into too much of the details of what's going on here. With this instruction, Ruth doesn't have to work as hard. And then he reminds his young men to not mistreat her by allowing her to do what he told them to do for her. Second, he continues. Boaz tells his workers, his young men, to pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Boaz just told them to allow her to glean from the gathered grain that they had gathered. But here, he also tells them to cut the grain and leave them behind so she could gather them herself. In other words, it would have been easier with the previous instruction. Just that alone, it would have been easier for Ruth. But with this additional instruction, Ruth's job became even more easier which would then lead to gathering more. The only thing that could make it even more easier for Ruth here was for someone else to glean for her. We can see here from Boaz's actions that he was going beyond to make the job easier and more efficient for Ruth. And he reminds his workers again just in case they protest by saying how, well, this isn't how we, we normally do things or we're supposed to do these things. By saying to them, do not rebuke her. Last Sunday, we read that in God's care for those who are poor or who are having struggles, perhaps with food, he gave commands and we saw that in Deuteronomy and Leviticus as well. I believe as you look back into that law, that command that God gave to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 24, 19, Boaz's actions showed what the law required for him to do, specifically for him as a landowner who had field. But Boaz's specific actions here the two specific actions that he told his workers to do for Ruth was actually never required by the law. It just showed again Boaz's generosity and going beyond what was required of him. Now, when you read that, one might think that, hmm, is there something going on in Boaz's heart or his Ruth? Or was he simply acting out of devotion to his relative Elimelech, who was um, Naomi's deceased husband? We will continue to find out. As a result of Boaz's kindness and instructions to his workers, we read that Ruth gathers about an ephah of barley. Now, ephah is not a, uh, what is it, a uh, regiment that we use today. Just to help us out here, an ephah would be equivalent to 
uh, anywhere between 30 to 50 pounds. So 30 to 50 pounds is, would be an EFA. This will be considered several weeks of worth of food. Now, 30 to 50 pounds in one day doesn't sound very important until we find out that a typical day in this time usually consisted when you're gleaning and gathering about one to two pounds. So we see here that that's actually a pretty big difference there. 30 to 50 pounds, one to two pounds. It looks like from Boaz's instructions to his workers, that Ruth was able to gather more than she would normally have been able to. Ruth had left Naomi, her mother-in-law, to go and search for favor. She boldly went out in faith, not knowing where she would find this favor. She found it in Boaz. And now, what, she, what we read is that she then returns. She goes back. She returns to Naomi, her mother-in-law, shows her the amount of food that she had gathered and catch this as well, gives her mother-in-law the food left over from the meal she had eaten. So it looks like when she had the food and she was satisfied, had some left, she put it to the side or packed it up or stored it so that she could bring it back to give to her mother-in-law. It's notable that she did this because I believe it shows Ruth's heart. It shows her care and it shows her loyalty, her devotion to her mother-in-law. If you were here with us when we were going through chapter one, where Naomi urged her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth to leave her, go back to their own land because they had no future following her. We saw the two decisions that was made. While one daughter-in-law decided, yeah, you're right, I'm gonna go back. You see here, Ruth, you say, no, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go and your God will be my God, your people will be my people. We show here that those weren't just simple words that she just splurted out in the moment. It was something that she was committed to and showing that to her mother-in-law here. And in verse 11 of chapter 11, I'm sorry, chapter two, verse 11, we read that Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. Boaz was impressed by Ruth's actions here. But if you understand the circumstances, it's kind of hard to, you know, uh, to understand some of these uh, circumstances, especially here that Ruth and Naomi is going through. Um, but also, I don't want to say that, that there's no one here that understands this, maybe we have experienced some similar situations in our own lives. So if we understand the circumstances of Naomi and Ruth, we can read Naomi's questions that follow up after seeing the big bag of food and also the food ready to eat that Ruth brought with excitement. So Ruth asks, I'm sorry, uh, Naomi asks Ruth two questions. Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Now, if you look at those two questions, it's pretty much the same question, just in different wording, right? Um, but I think out of excitement, probably, she asked pretty much the same question back to back. 
And before Ruth was able to answer in excitement, she bursts out a blessing to the landowner. Of course, at this point, she doesn't know yet that Boaz is that landowner. But whoever he is, Naomi says, Blessed be the man that took notice of you. I see a change in Naomi, at least in the tone of her voice, when she saw what Ruth brought back. Ruth replies by saying that she worked at a field belonging to Boaz. We were introduced to Boaz, we as readers, back in verse 1, chapter 2. Ruth met him in verses 3 to uh, 16 in chapter 2, and now he became known to Naomi. Now he, she knows. You can imagine at this point when she hears this from Ruth, you can imagine Naomi's eyes just getting bigger and bigger and just growing with excitement as she first responds by saying, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She desires that the Lord God bless Boaz for she recognizes Boaz's extraordinary act of kindness. Seems that Naomi sees Boaz's actions is perhaps going more beyond. But what does she mean when she says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead, as we read here in this verse? Well, by saying that the Lord has not forsaken the living or the dead, she seems to be saying that the Lord is showing kindness and faithfulness to her whole family. Not only to her and Ruth, but also to their deceased husbands who are now dead. And that she seems to be, perhaps through this, hinting and looking forward to a future hope. Not only do we see a change in tone from Naomi, but her heart, I believe, was beginning to soften toward God. As she was beginning to see that the Lord perhaps was not out to make her life bitter and difficult, as she may have believed before. If you recall, when Naomi and Ruth returned to the promised land, to the Israelites' land, People were excited, or perhaps they were wondering, oh, she's been gone for a while, she's back now. Naomi's here, Naomi. But then we saw Naomi's reply, stop calling me Naomi, which meant pleasant. You can call me Mara now, which meant bitter. It seemed like her heart at that point, and though she knew perhaps the Lord was involved in all of it, she still had trouble in her heart. But we see now, I believe her bitterness is being replaced with thankfulness, and her view of God is being restored. Naomi then gives her second response by saying, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. After hearing that it was Boaz, Naomi's heart and mind must have been just busy, just racing. It was because Boaz was more than a kind Israelite and a relative. It was because he was one of their redeemers. A redeemer is not a concept that we know or 
perhaps do today. So just help us out here. A redeemer was a close relative who was able to help the family in certain specific situations. Uh, we'll see how this works out in chapter 3 more specifically. But for now, it's good to, for us to understand what a redeemer did. So in God's law, in Leviticus chapter 25, I will encourage you to look it on your own, verses 25 to 55, it outlines in very specific ways in which a redeemer could protect and help out his relatives. Just to help us out here, for example, in verse 25 of chapter 25 of Leviticus, if someone became poor and had to sell their property, a close kinsman or his nearest redeemer was to buy it back on their behalf to maintain the clan's inheritance. And back then, inheritance was mainly, mostly land. Then we read in the same chapter, in verses 47 to 49, if someone had to sell themselves into slavery because of financial reasons, and in context, many people did this, the Redeemer bought them back from their owners if they were financially able. And this Redeemer could be a brother, could be an uncle, could be a cousin, or other close relative. And then furthermore, there was another command in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 10, uh, on, a, on a thing called a leveret marriage. Now, a leveret marriage meant the instructions were there were that when a man died, his brother was obligated to marry his widow and raise up his children. That was a law given. In this way, the purpose behind that was so that the family line would continue and the inheritance would also continue to be associated with the man who had just passed away. This is uh, the provision and commands given by God. Now, the situation for Ruth doesn't precisely match the commands given in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The reason is because first, Naomi and Ruth were not in debt nor were they enslaved. They were poor, but they did not need to be bought back from anyone. Furthermore, although Ruth was a widow, the law did not address the question of what obligations, if any, a redeemer had toward foreigners. Second, Boaz was not a brother to Malon and Chilion. And just to remind us, those were husbands of the two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Nor Boaz was a brother to Elimelech. Notice that Naomi says Boaz is one of our redeemers, meaning he was a family relative, part of the same clan, which meant that he had the right to act as a redeemer if he chose to, but he was not obliged to do so in the way that a close relative, like a brother, immediate brother would have. So whoever was a redeemer could do so, but the greater responsibility was given to the nearest relative. And we'll see later in chapter 3 that there is indeed another redeemer who could actually do it instead of Boaz. Now for Boaz, uh, there were plenty of reasons for him not to be a redeemer toward Ruth and Naomi. But Boaz, as we have seen, just from his uh, character, his actions so far, is a man of integrity, a man of grace. 
not a man who looks for perhaps loopholes or uh, trying to meet just the minimum requirements or perhaps just trying to uh, get a goal in mind and maybe even looking for corners to cut. So here was a man. Here was a man that had been touched by God's faithfulness, was experienced God's kindness in his life, and so it naturally overflowed to those around him. I think that makes sense. How can we show kindness um, and grace, uh, forgiveness, uh, patience uh, towards others? Yeah, we can go to a certain point, right? Um, but if we are not giving that out from an overflow of what we get from the Lord, his kindness, goodness, patience, we, we tend to run out. And keep going back to the Lord so that we are filled up more and more. That when we do and meet other people, our patience, our love, our grace, our kindness, our forgiveness is a natural overflow of when the Lord pours into our lives. He was a man, Boaz, that had been touched by God's faithfulness and kindness. So it naturally overflowed to those around him. I believe we see it through his workers that he oversaw. And here specifically, a foreigner outsider in roof. The glimmer of hope foreshadowed in chapter 1, verse 22, and which has been getting bigger throughout chapter 2, I believe is now even getting bigger and bigger. The glimmer of hope, I believe, is starting to expand among the dark clouds for Naomi and Ruth. And I believe Boaz, we see here, was the means that God used in a small way to show Naomi his goodness. And she began to see that the Lord God had not stopped showing his loving kindness to her and Ruth. As we continue now and close out this chapter, the author reminds us again that Ruth is a Moabite. Just again reminding us that she's a foreigner, she's an outsider. And she responds to Naomi by repeating what Boaz told her, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Now what that meant from Boaz is that he didn't more than just give her permission to glean in his field for that day only, but for the entire harvest season. For sure, 30 to 50 pounds of food is a lot of food. It's a lot of food. And for Naomi and Ruth, it probably would have lasted them maybe more than a couple weeks, depending on how they rationed it out. But as we know, what happens to food? It eventually runs out if you don't go and get more. But to know that you could get more food, not just that one day, and to store it up even must have given them a sense of great relief. And so Naomi is encouraged by this, as we see here. And so she encourages Ruth to do exactly that in verse 22. And she also highlights how if Ruth was at any other field, she might be in danger of perhaps being assaulted. Now we can see here that not only Boaz had concern for her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, also had concern for her daughter-in-law. As I thought about that, I'm thinking perhaps maybe uh, Naomi was thinking about her past. When she and her husband, Elimelech, 
when he was alive, prior to coming here 10-ish years ago, decided to leave the promised land because of famine and didn't want Ruth to do something similar. Because when they did that, it seemed like there was a road that opened up, but it eventually closed. They ignored God's faithfulness in the past, and they went somewhere else, thinking that somewhere else will be more beneficial for them. Instead of staying in the fields of the promised land, they went to the fields of Moab instead. And perhaps when, Ru- uh, when Naomi is seeing what's going on with Ruth in the current situation that she's in, she didn't want her to make a similar decision that she had done in the past. As I thought about that a little bit more, uh, from this conversation between Naomi and Ruth, uh, I was reminded of the type of relationship that Titus chapter 2, verses 2 to 6 speaks of. Older men and older women teaching younger men and younger women in living according to God's word. Here specifically in the relationship between Ruth and Naomi, we see an older woman teaching a younger woman, I believe. Ruth came back and let Naomi know of the situation and the circumstances. Naomi hears it and believes it to be something good and so tells Ruth to do what Boaz told her to do. In our lives, in the duration of our lives, to be specific, we'll come across situations and circumstances where some good teaching, some sound wisdom from those who are older are very, very helpful. Now, of course, we don't need to um, seek out wisdom in our lives to ask what flavor ice cream to get um, at our local Goodberries. If you want to do that, please feel free to do so. That's okay. But there are times when we're not sure of something, perhaps something very important, perhaps something that's weighting, uh, that's a large, a heavy weight on our shoulders. And we consult others. We seek others' advice. If you hear from someone who has lived life more than you, more often than not, you will see a perspective that you may not have seen. Of course, having said this, this doesn't mean that every older person is automatically going to give you perfect sound wisdom every single time, or that younger people cannot give sound wisdom at all. So it's important for us to not just listen with a blank canvas, but with God's word in mind, even in our listening. Even if not in the moment of listening, to go to God afterwards and see if it aligns with God's word. Now for those of us are giving those wisdom or giving those advice as well. Perhaps we said something and perhaps it wasn't the right one, saying, oh no, that wasn't right for us to do that. And also for us to check as well if we're giving those advice to others, if it is aligned with God's word, because the ultimate standard is not us. We're not the standard. The standard is always God's and his word. Always God's word. So we always have to consult with God ultimately. Yes, there's godly people that we meet in our lives. But ultimately, it's the Lord that we should consult more and more. And now as we end the chapter, we read the good news of Ruth being able to glean until the end of the harvest season. 
But then after the season, Ruth continued to live with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, for those who may be hearing Ruth for the first time, or maybe you're, um, it's been a while since you're going through the book of Ruth and you're uh, reading and study, you can think what might happen between Ruth and Boaz. Um, like, perhaps as you were listening to the first half of Ruth 2, chapter 2, you may have thought, maybe there's some, I don't know, potential romance brewing, something happening maybe between them, right? That's a thought that you could have. Time-wise, Ruth would have been in regular contact with Boaz for the next six to seven weeks after the day that was mentioned here. And yet, we read of nothing of perhaps relationship developing. Then we read the season is over, the harvest season is over, and Ruth is still living with her mother-in-law. It's almost like we were anticipating like something, like it's getting there, getting there, getting there, and they're like, boom, like it just stops, it hits a wall. And we were thinking, oh, what's going on? Um, many times when in our own lives, um, there, sorry, just retrack a little bit. Um, for Naomi and Ruth, I think I mentioned it last Sunday as well. For Naomi and Ruth, uh, as we see this book, we already know, uh, if you've never read through it, you could just flip a page, right? And you know what's going to happen. You see what happens. Um, but for Naomi and Ruth, um, what was happening in real time for them, they wouldn't know. They don't have uh, 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 the book that we have today to just go through the next page and see what happens. But in the background, God's mysterious providence was working through all these events. Not by chance or, or coincidental instances where Ruth just happened to go out to a field that happened to belong to Boaz. And if you read here, the author doesn't mention specifically that God was the one doing these things. But the traces of his presence is obviously there. We saw God's guidance behind Ruth and Boaz's encounter in verses 3 to 4 and the provisions that followed. But now it seems that things didn't pick up but just came to a dull stop. Perhaps for many of us, it seems like that in our own lives. But we'll see how things move, or more specifically, how God continues to move and work between Ruth and Boaz in chapter 3. And until then, wait until what the Lord does in their lives in chapter 3. As we end chapter 2, in summary, what we read is that it reminds us, chapter 2 reminds us that God graciously honors those who step out in faith by providing for their needs. And, and it may even be more than one expects, like for a roof. Just, just piled on more and more and more, right? Something good. Or it could be something completely different than expected. But one must be like Ruth in going out, taking the step in bold faith, what that might look like in your life. But we, um, if we're honest, we're all about being honest here, sometimes taking that step can be very difficult. 
is a knot. Even though we say, perhaps with our lips, yeah, God is good all the time. That our lives are part of his grand story and yes, I believe that he is in control. But often, when we're going through difficult days, times, trials, pain in our lives, like myself, including myself here as well, we forget. We forget. We're very forgetful people. On this journey of life, there are wonderful and joyful times, and I pray that we get to enjoy those wonderful and joyful times in our lives. But as we live in a sin-saturated world, there will be difficulties too that come into our lives. And this journey is not all the same for all of us. For it's following the path God has set before you. And while we're uh, on this path that God has set before us, the temptation can be there where it can be so easy to think that um, other people's lives are going great while yours is going horribly. It can seem like that. While it may look like it, it usually isn't what we think. Journey is often not easy, and sometimes we want to go on someone else's path thinking, I think it'll be better, or I think it'll be easier, not the one that I'm currently on. Perhaps looking over the fence to see, oh, it looks much nicer over there. But instead, for us to put our eyes on the Lord, not on the path, on the Lord, and to trust Him as we take those steps in the path that he has placed in our lives. Trusting that he is indeed good, trusting that he is indeed infinitely wisdom, and in his infinite wisdom, he is doing all this for our good and for his glory. For those going through something right now, even though I may not fully understand what you're going through, rest assured that God knows, he understands. And he is merciful. Perhaps, for, perhaps you feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel, just scratching away without any hope in sight. But instead of looking down, I encourage you to look up. See the Lord and perhaps fall on him, fall upon him in total dependence just letting your heart out to him. Not just saying through the normal things that you would normally say, right? But just being really honest. If we can listen as we end here, I would like for us to listen to God's word in Psalm chapter 121. Psalm chapter 121 reads, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. 
the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I pray that those words from Psalm 121, as I reflected on it this week myself, will give you peace, rest, and hope through God's word. Let's take some time at this moment to respond in prayer to what we have just heard from the Lord this morning. So if you're joining us for the first time, just going before the Lord and just giving our, our thoughts, perhaps things that perhaps came to my, our minds while we were listening, and going before the Lord with it in prayer. It might be a prayer of confession, confession of sin and repentance of sin. Perhaps it's a question of request where you want to understand more or have more clarity of it. Or perhaps it's just a simple uh, time of just being in the presence of the Lord but not sure what to say and that's okay. You could do that as well. But whatever it may be, I'll encourage you to not let that slide away or ignore it, but go before the Lord with it. Let's do that this time. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we give thanks to you. You've spoken to us through your word in today's passage. And Lord, um, if we're honest, there's many times where Seems like our faith at times is, uh, is weak or struggling. But Lord, you, you know our weakness. You know our struggle. Lord, it's, the you, it's you are the one that give us that strength in our faith. Lord, you understand you. The loving Father embraces us and listens to our, our cries, listens to our hurts. And God, in your infinite wisdom, you understand and you give us the strength to continue to walk the paths that you have given to each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord Father God, that you would strengthen our faith, that we can be like Job and, and, and pray and say to you, when those moments of pain and difficulty come my way, we can say, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, I pray that during, not during only times of joy and, and laughter, that we praise you, but even during those moments where perhaps that's the last thing we may want to do, pray that you would give us that kind of faith that we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord, even when we're going through difficulty. Thank you, God, for your kingdom and glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.